being a dropout actually came up in that interview. And they they had asked me, like, where did you go to school? And I was like, oh, I didn't go to school. And they were like, huh, interesting. And we had a little conversation about it. And I think it could have been a big deal, but it wasn't because I came into the job interview really prepared. By the time the where did you go to school question came up, they didn't really care anymore. They were like, this guy's competent. This guy's put in the work. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So now, today, I'm going to introduce Derek. Derek, do you, get, do you mind sharing what you do today? Sure. Hi, my name's Derek. Um, I'm a college dropout. Actually dropped out of high school as well at age 16. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. My previous company raised $2.2 million in venture capital, including from the founders of Tinder and NerdWallet and a bunch of other kind of Silicon Valley investors. Before that, I ran a $100,000 a month e-commerce company. And I also used to manage e-commerce marketing for Kind Bars, which is like a big food, food yeah. and um, snack company. Uh, and today I'm launching a one-person company now back to just like being me, uh, which is a software product for people who listen to a lot of podcasts. I feel like that area is still not good. Like a lot of these podcasts, have, it took me a while to find a good podcast app. They, I don't know, they don't hit it well. So now you've obviously done a lot. Let's go take it back. So let's talk about high school. How was that like for you? And why'd you end up dropping out? Yeah, high school sucked. It really sucked. Um, so when I was 10 years old, I moved from Hong Kong to the United States. I was born in the United States, but I moved to Hong Kong when I was four. 10 years old, I moved back to the United States and it was extremely confusing. I had no idea how to make friends. There was a lot of like cultural differences in how school was approached. And it took me a long time to just figure out the social side of being in America. Even by the time I was 16 years old, I was still kind of like a weird, nerdy, dorky kid that had a hard time just like fitting in. And so school was a very lonely time. High school was a very lonely time. And it was a time where I felt kind of confused. And at the same time, since I didn't have a lot of social activities... I was reading a lot. I was spending a lot of time on the internet. I was learning interesting things. I was reading books by Tony Robbins, uh, Robert Kiyosaki. Like I'm just like learning about uh, money and business and personal development from like 14 to 16. And by the time I was 16, I was like, man, I just don't want to study chemistry or history or, or like any of these classes anymore. I'm not learning anything useful. Um, and at the same time, I just really wasn't enjoying the experience of being in school. So, um, so I took the California high school proficiency exam, which is similar to like the GED uh, dropped out of, of school at 16. I was still living with my parents. So they were like, hey, if you're living here, we want you to go to school. Uh, and so I, I went to college. Uh, I took, uh, I think, one and a half semesters where I was just like, I know I'm not going to finish this thing. So I'm just going to take like Photoshop and real estate and like whatever I thought was interesting. So I did that for, I think, maybe one or two semesters and then I dropped out of college. So how'd your parents take that? They weren't really happy with it, but my grades were like, it was like D, 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 F, F, D anyway. So it's like, it wasn't like I was going to finish it. So, yeah. So, would you want to be in high school? That's a good question. I think even by high school, I already wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, like I said, I was reading kind of businessy, personal developmenty books from a pretty young age. Um, so, yeah, I think I think I wanted to be an entrepreneur from a pretty young age. Was there any specific type of area you wanted to be, or just you just was like, I'm going to own a business? 
Oh man, yeah, this is this is a little cringy actually now that I think about it. Back then, buying real estate for no money down was like the was like the craze. Yeah. And I was like reading all these books and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm like a 16-year-old with like no money, right? I'm like I'm going to I'm going to like buy houses and flip them. That, that's that's what I was thinking at the time. So, um obviously that's not what happened and I got into like the internet and that was much more amenable to like a 16-year-old with no money than buying real estate and flipping it. But yeah, that's what the the first thing that I thought I was going to do was real estate. Okay. So now you dropped out. What came next? What was your plan? Yeah, I didn't really have a plan in, in the beginning. Uh, I worked for a few months at Starbucks and then didn't really work out very well. I actually worked at a car dealership for a few months that didn't work out that well either. It just culturally wasn't like my thing. And then at a certain point, I went to this personal development workshop because I was kind of in that. I was reading a lot of those books and uh, I saw someone speaking and I was like, wow, this is awesome. This, he's like very charismatic. He's building this company. And I was like, I just want to work for this guy. I don't care. I don't, I don't need to get paid. So I, I went up to him and I was like, hey, can I work for you for free? And he was like, yeah, we're a five-person company. If you want to do free work, come do free work. And I was like, great. Um, so I started working there. Uh, I think I was just doing like 10 hours a week, something like that for the first month or so. And then he asked me, how much are you making at Starbucks? And I was like, I think I'm making like a thousand bucks a month. So he's like, between working here and Starbucks, you're working about full-time, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay, so if I pay you a thousand dollars a month, what if you just work here full-time? And I was like, that sounds like a good deal. It's better than working at Starbucks. So yeah. I started working at that company. And at the time, it was when Google just came out with Google AdWords. And okay. he was like, hey, there's this like weird AdWords thing where you can like pay for like every click that they have in this search engine. We don't know if it's going to work, but like, why don't you try and figure it out? Like, read some, read some like tutorials or something and see if we can make it make money for us. That eventually turned into a $10,000 plus a month budget. And I'm like, you know, I was probably like, how old was I? 17, 18, probably like 18 at this point. I'm just like 18 years old, like buying ads on, on Google and like trying to figure, nobody knew what was going on back then. So like, we're just like, all just like trying to figure out uh, how to do this like advertising thing on the internet. And you know what it was very underrated? A lot of people don't realize that that's the way a lot of entrepreneurs succeed. You find someone that you admire that's like good hearted. And you ask them, like, can I work for you for free? And it doesn't have to be 40 hours a week. It can be five to 10 hours a week and just say, hey, I'll help you solve a problem. What ends up happening is you get mentorship from someone who is really sharp, who typically charges a lot. If someone were to do that, you get it for free and then opportunities open up because when he was like, all right, dude, I could cover a thousand. And then you got better work. You moved up. You learned something new. And it never would have happened had you not just approached this guy. You don't stay for free for very long, right? Once you start yeah. delivering real value to the company, they want to pay you. So yeah, it's just a way to like minimize the risk that they're taking because you have no credentials, right? Yeah. So if you have no credentials, they're like, okay, there's no risk for us. We'll take the risk. But then like they start paying you as soon as like you deliver real value for the company. Yeah. So now how was it that you started figuring this out and you had a $10,000 a month budget? How did you feel? Since I was 14, I had this kind of intense curiosity about business and uh, and how to create companies that like that that help people, but I didn't have any real world application for it. So this was the first time where I felt like I was actually interacting with real people, getting real customers. Th that the work I was doing wasn't just like reading a book; it was actually making a difference. So I, I felt great. So what was the next big milestone in this company? Yeah, so I stayed in that company for a little under a year, and then I got approached by another company in this in a similar space, um, and then I kind of switched to that company. I did this for about two or three years total, working at personal development companies, helping them with Google AdWords, copywriting, email funnels, just like various marketing things. And then after that, I switched into working for myself, doing affiliate marketing at first. So companies would list, like, I think my biggest 
quote unquote client was eHarmony, they would say, hey, we'll pay you $60 anytime you get a paying subscriber to sign up. And I would buy ads all over the internet on Google and various other places to drive traffic to eHarmony. And then they would pay me uh, $60. I might spend $40 to get that customer. And I would just kind of make the, the difference in that money. Um, I did that for another year or two. And then I got into freelance writing and being a digital nomad after that. What got you into freelance writing? So affiliate marketing was a very sporadic income source. There were months where I made like $15,000 and there were like consecutive months where I made zero. Um, and it, it wasn't really a reliable source of income, even though it was kind of really fun. Um, when I got into freelance writing, I think it was at a time where I wasn't making a lot of money and I just kind of stumbled upon it. And I was living in San Francisco at the time. I think I'd kind of decided I wanted to travel the world kind of around that same time. Yeah. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have a, you know, a job I needed to be here for. I didn't have a family. I, I, I was like, I'm curious about this. And I know that if I want to do it at any point in my life, this is a pretty good time to do it. So um, I got into freelance writing kind of around when I started digital nomading, which was great because I was only making like $10 an hour when I first started. And that's not a lot in San Francisco, but it is a lot in Thailand. So yeah, uh, yeah so I landed in Thailand. I'm like, you know, not working. You don't actually need to, you, you can live on like $300 a month in Thailand pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to work that much just getting started in freelance writing. I started at about $10 an hour and over the course of about a year and a half, eventually got that to about $60 an hour. And it gave me a lot of freedom to just like work from where I want, travel, uh, work as many hours as I want, that kind of thing. Do you mind getting into like, why was affiliate marketing so sporadic? Like, what was it like algorithm changes or penalizing things and all that? Yeah, I think the bottom line is you're not building any real, real assets. You don't own a customer list. You don't own a brand. You have nothing that like really ties you to it. And it's a very competitive space. So anytime you discover something that's working, there are probably hundreds of other people working on a similar strategy. So for example, if you're buying ads on Google AdWords and you're sending it to eHarmony, there's going to be another 200 people who are kind of looking at a similar strategy and experimenting with different things. So that's one issue. Another issue is that advertising costs on most platforms are increasing. At least like over the last 10 years, it's been like a steady increase, which means if you're making a 30% margin, and the cost of Google ads is increasing 20% a year, within 18 months, you have no business. So I think it was some combination of those things. Okay, so a lot of combinations. So now, how'd you get up to the $60 an hour? Like what changes did you make, you know, to start from, you know, a $10 an hour writer to get up to where you increase your income by 6x? Yeah, so back then, there was this big internet forum called the Warrior Forum. Yeah. I, I don't think they're very big anymore, but back then they were really big. And there was this page where people would list their services and everyone was kind of bidding to be the lowest bidder. So they would say, you know, we're the cheapest writer on the Warrior Forum. We're two cents a word, that kind of thing. And I was like, there's nobody here selling quality. So in the beginning, I just kind of marketed in, in a similar way as everyone else. But as soon as I had some testimonials and some proof that the stuff that I was writing would rank well in Google and I had screenshots of it ranking in Google, I redid my whole kind of pitch and I, I pitched myself as the most expensive person on the Warrior Forum. And I, I would deliver everything within 72 hours, guaranteed. I think that was, that was, that was really what did it, was like changing the pitch to be like a high-end pitch instead of uh, and, and kind of standing out from the crowd. So I didn't really want to be doing freelance writing for much longer because it is still trading dollars for hours. And so when I was in Thailand, I ran into a bunch of people who were doing e-commerce, selling different things in different ways. And I was like, I want to do that. That feels like a much more sustainable way of, of making an income online. And so the first product I 
the first e-commerce store I built was selling foosball tables. Um, you know, these are one $2,000 large foosball tables that offices w- would buy and like have for their employees. And it was actually successful pretty much right away. It was making about $10,000 a month in sales, but the margins are really low with dropshipping. So you're making like $1,000 a month, maybe $2,000. But since I was living in Thailand, people would call, you're buying a $2,000 product and it's going to be shipped to your office. There's often questions about shipping and logistics and stuff like that. So people would call me and it would be 4 a.m. in the morning. And this would happen several times a week. And so I was like, I just don't know if I want to run this business where I'm like taking calls at 4 a.m., yeah, eventually I, I, I kind of gave up on that company. Maybe I could have sold it if I ran it for another year or something, but there just wasn't enough like traction for me to sell it. So I just kind of ended up giving it to a friend. Um, at the same time, I, I was working on a vitamin gummy bear company. So that was a um, that was a Amazon business. So we would buy supplements from different suppliers, um, the vitamin gummy bears, resell it on, on Amazon under our own brand. And that was doing pretty well. That was doing somewhere between three to $8,000 a month in profit with basically very little work. And that enabled me to kind of stop doing all the freelance writing and travel and not really have to think about money. And then the one that really kind of was um, kind of life-changing was when I got into t-shirts and apparel. And so mm-hmm. that was the business that took off extremely fast. Um, that went from zero to $100,000 a month in sales within probably about three or four months. Wow. And that was dropshipping. That was um, slightly different than dropshipping, but, but pretty similar. We weren't holding any inventory, but we would collect a, a bunch of orders. So let's say a thousand people would buy a particular design, then we would print all of them on demand and then ship them out to, yeah. to customers. So we weren't holding the inventory. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that's smart. I had a friend with a t-shirt business. He just sit on blank tees. When someone orders, he, he would print them and all that stuff. But that's cool. Now, what things did you do right to grow that business? Because Yes, you were in the right things, but obviously you had previous skill sets, previous lessons that you learned that allowed you to scale quickly. I think the biggest thing, honestly, is noticing when someone is doing something that I want to be doing and then like finding some way to, to get them to be interested in talking to me. Because with each of those companies, I had people who were mentor figures. And um, one of them, I met him when he was at a co-working space and he was just like doing his thing and we struck up a conversation. And... Yeah, I think a lot of a lot, a lot of these is like I don't think I would have been able to do the things that I've done if I didn't have people guiding me. So finding some way to connect with those people, befriend them, get them to want to to be helpful to me. Um, I think that's that's a that's a big one. Yeah, mentors make a big difference. Like I have a mentor, and she's definitely saved me years of learning just because they have that what 10, 20, 30 years of experience ahead of you, and they've seen a lot. And right, their advice is golden. Now, what came next? So, how long did you have this t-shirt business for? I had it for probably about a year, and this business also suffered from a sim- similar issues to what I described before, where we weren't really building a real brand. The advertising cost on Facebook was increasing every year, and eventually, it stopped being profitable. We were profitable for probably about six to nine months, and then the last three months, it was kind of like us trying to save the business, and it, it just kept continuing to, to not go well. And then after that, I kind of realized that I built a number of businesses that were in the six-figure-a-year, kind of close to seven-figure-a-year range. But there were a lot of skills that I didn't have um, that larger companies would have. So I decided that instead of building another company that might kind of hit the same glass ceiling, I wanted to go work at a larger company and just see what I can learn from a big company before I go back to starting my next thing. So I ended up moving to New York and getting a job at Kind Bars, which is a $5 billion 
food, food company. I didn't know anyone in New York. I'm from San Francisco. And so I land in New York and um, I realized I'm trying to get this like, you know, I want, I want to get like a good job um, where I'm learning from people who know what they're doing. I was here primarily to learn, not necessarily for the money. So I didn't have much of a network either. So what I decided to do was I filmed an ad for myself and I ran it as a Facebook ad to mm. all of the company, like the man- management level of, at all of the companies that I was interested in working at. And that ad ended up getting me a referral to someone who, like, who, who, who was at Kind Bars and eventually getting that job. Um, so that was kind of like a fun, fun hack of how to land in the city and, and kind of get a, get a job. Um, being a dropout actually came up in that interview. And they, they had asked me, like, where did you go to school? And I was like, oh, I didn't go to school. And they were like, huh, interesting. And we had a little conversation about it. And I think it could have been a big deal, but it wasn't because I came into the job interview really prepared. This was for a marketing manager position. And I had pulled all of their ads on Google and Facebook and different places, pulled all of their competitors' ads. Uh, I knew all the keywords they were ranking for on Google, what, ad, what, what keywords they were buying on Google, printed out their website. Uh, so I, had, I was like, if you hire me, here's all the channels you're doing right now. Here's all the marketing channels I would recommend. Here's the changes I would recommend to your ad copy and to your ad images. Here's what your competitors are doing that you're not doing. And so by the time the where did you go to school question came up, they didn't really care anymore. They were like, this guy's competent. This guy's put in the work. This guy clearly like has opinions about how we can grow this company. I feel like if you're a college dropout or in high school or a high school dropout, it's either really bad or it's really good. And it's kind of yeah. it's hard to be in between. If you like really wow them, the fact that you dropped out of college and also learned all of those skills, I think actually becomes more impressive. Yeah. And look, let me tell you, I know people with master's degrees who, w- who wouldn't go that far. So they were smart for choosing you. So how was that job? So now you got the job. How'd you deliver it? And what'd you learn on the job? I think the biggest thing I learned was how important product is. So uh, in a lot of these digital nomad circles and kind of bootstrap company circles, they talk a lot about marketing, how to build sales funnels and write ad copy and all those things. But they don't put nearly as much attention on how do you build an amazing product. And at KindBars, that was what they were talking about most of the time. And they, they cared a lot about marketing, but they cared so much about the quality of the product. So that was a big takeaway for me. I learned a lot about how they structure the, the org chart and how you hire people. Um, I learned a lot about different marketing channels. I was managing about 10 different marketing channels from Facebook ads, Google ads, podcast ads, uh, direct mail, just all kinds of different things. So I learned a lot about each individual channel. I learned a lot about hiring, like when to hire an agency and when to hire a person. Um, so those were some of the things. But I think, I think the product thing is probably the biggest thing is like, is so much of a company is really down to building a good product and then letting people know. And if you spend 70, 80% of the time on building a great product, I think that's, that's usually a good trade-off. Marketing can do a lot, but if you, once you have a good product and you market it well, it's just super hard, right? Because yeah. it starts from the ground up as a foundational issue, right? And there's only so many things you can do. And those good reviews and social proof and those testimonials, like I know Kind has such a strong brand. Totally. Yeah, yeah. they were really fun to work for. They were, they were a great company. What came after Kind? At this point, I'd been doing marketing for, I don't know, probably not quite a decade, but but getting close to a decade. And I was kind of getting bored. And I think at the same time, crypto was doing this like, you know, hockey stick yeah. thing. And I was like, I'd always kind of been curious about crypto. I'd, I'd had a little bit of Bitcoin from, from back in the day. And somehow that combination had me decide I wanted to learn to code. 
And so I was, I, I'd gone back to digital nomading. I'm living in Thailand. I don't have a lot of expenses. And I started teaching myself to code, primarily using free resources and really cheap resources like Udemy, you know, classes are $10, $20. Um, and I built a cryptocurrency trading robot because I was interested in crypto and I wanted something that like I didn't need an employer for to give me permission to start, you know, building things that are interacting with the real world. So I was just building this, trading my own money. And there's this, um, there's this quote, which is like, everyone's a genius in a bull market. Meaning like, yeah. I built a trading bot. It was making money. I thought it was doing great. It didn't survive the crash, but, uh, but it, was, it was fun to build it. And I learned a lot about software engineering and kind of being in that community of other crypto enthusiasts and engineers and, and just like brainstorming with people in person. Um, so that was kind of me learning to code and cutting my teeth and, and, and like building something that, that had real money in it and making real money. Uh, for anyone who is interested in learning to code, I think picking something that you're passionate about building and committing to building it and then just learning whatever you need to make that happen is the fastest way to do it rather than like following a book or from like start to finish because they can be really boring instead of just like yeah. jumping around to whatever you actually need in that moment. Yeah, no, that's very true. Now, what programming languages did you learn to create this bot? So at first I was using JavaScript. Um, Node.js is like the branch of JavaScript that I was using. Currently, I program mostly in Python, uh, which is the server side, and um, Flutter, which is on the iOS and Android side. How long did it take you to sort of learn that stuff? It's difficult to answer that question because like, at what point you can say you've learned it is pretty difficult. So I think the point at which I was willing to put my own money into it was probably two months. But the point at which someone else would, uh, would hire me to do software engineering, I think would, was probably six to 12 months, if I had to guess. No, I mean, that's a reasonable time frame. I feel like, you know, in the first month, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> How do I do yeah. this? And you're learning the fundamentals. And then two months, you build the basic things. And then, you know, three to six months, you're kind of making some headwinds. And then six to 12 months, you're like, wow, I wish I was this smart earlier in my journey. Yeah, I, I would say for anyone who wants to go down that path, I don't think there's any magic sauce that a coding yeah. bootcamp or a school would teach you that you can't learn on your own. No, that's very true. It's very true. I've seen a lot of people because at the end of the day, whether or not you go to any of those institutions, you have to spend time outside to learn your own thing. So it doesn't matter. Like at some point, you're going to have to learn how to self-teach yourself. And if you never learn, you're going to be average or just not do good in the field. Yeah. So after having all these different kind of business adventures, some of them successful, some of them not, and even the successful ones, you know, they, they'll make a few hundred thousand and then they'll crash. I kind of decided hey, I want to take a real swing at building something big. I'm going to move to San Francisco. I'm going to try and raise a couple million dollars and, uh, and you know, try to do something big. And so I moved to San Francisco. And initially, the, the concept I wanted to build was a smart gym. So this would use AI to automatically count how many reps you're doing, how much weight you're lifting, how's your form, and then send that information to, to, to an app as you're exercising. So it's an in-person physical gym. I raised a little bit of money, got that to a certain level, it was close to opening a beta gym and then COVID hit and just killed the whole gym industry. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, and then eventually, kind of after a couple twists and turns, ended up building a finance product. It was a rewards card for people who play video games. So instead of getting airline miles, you would get free video games or, um, or you know, skins inside of Fortnite. Or if you save up long enough, you can get an Xbox. There, our hypothesis was there's a lot of people who care a lot more about video games than travel. And we could build a rewards card for that audience. That's what we raised a couple million dollars for. And we did launch the product. It was 
moderately successful. We, we had a few thousand people using it, but it was never... The cost of acquiring a customer was always a lot higher than the amount of revenue we were generating. And so eventually it just didn't quite work out. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's not easy. So how did it make you feel like when you got there and what was going through your head? So in the beginning, I think it was very validating. One thing I didn't realize is that investors actually love dropouts. So when I was pitching my first investor and I told her I dropped out of college, she was like, oh yeah, me too. And she was like, I wish I highlighted this more to my investors. So I think in the beginning, it was very validating because I think as a dropout who doesn't have a lot of traditional experience, you know, I had that one job at KindBars, but there's not a lot of like traditional history in, in, my, in my resume. I think there's always this little like chip on your shoulder of like, you know, are you actually competent? Are you actually like, do other people think you're competent? And I think it was very validating to, to kind of go on that, that kind of venture backed um, venture. I think I, I learned a lot that one of the big differences between a venture scale company and building a bootstrap company is the kinds of people who will mentor you. Because if I try to reach out to the founder of Tinder or the founder of NerdWallet or you know, any of these billion dollar companies, they're not going to answer my email, but they will invest in a company that they think could be the next billion dollar company and then they'll mentor you. So I think the caliber of advice and network and people that, that I got through going through that experience was invaluable. Yeah, so I'd say it was it was a really wild two and a half years, and I'm really glad I did it. And um, yeah, I'm also glad to be back to doing a one person bootstrap company now. Let's kind of look back. What would you say are the things that you did right? Like a common theme that you did right along the way. I think one theme is just trying a lot of different things and not getting not getting too emotionally attached to the downsides. When you're in it, though, you, you really have to be all in, right? You can't have one foot out when building a company. So you have to put yourself 100% in it. But if something doesn't work out, you also have to be quick to say, ah, well, it didn't work. Let's do the next thing. So yeah. knowing when to have a light emotional touch, I guess, is, is one thing. I think another thing is just realizing that there's very few skills that are actually difficult to learn. And almost anything you need to learn, at least in most entrepreneurial realms, you can learn for 20 bucks on Udemy or uh, YouTube, et cetera. At this point, there's, there's a lot of micro skills that go into building an app or marketing. You need to learn design. You need to learn paid ads. You need to learn copywriting. You need to learn uh, photography or videography or software engineering. Like, th- there's a lot of different subsets of skills that you, you can learn. And I think part of doing this is just being good at the learning process itself um, and figuring out how does your brain work? And how do you get your brain to learn things quickly? Um, and also not being daunted by having to learn a whole field and only learning the things that you actually need to do the thing that you actually want to do. Yeah, no, and such great advice. I think that point about balance is such a tough balance, right? Because you have to invest, but also know when to pull out. And it's like that those emotions and all that stuff. And there are so many skills, right? Like a lot, when I started my business 2014, the first few, I was young. The first few years is just going on Reddit, reading a lot of things, watching YouTube videos, listening to podcasts, reading books. And you just learn a lot of these things. And it's learning the things you don't know that you don't know, right? Like this world. And then you get in, into this world and you become better at Googling. You become better at conversation and all that. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing, which is I'm quite ADHD. And I, I, I suspect a lot of dropouts are, are kind of ADHD. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But I think I've really learned to work with my brain instead of pushing against it. If yeah. I'm like 
I want to learn to make electronic music. Great, I'll do that for two, three weeks and be like, all right, I'm bored now. I want to do this other thing. I want to ride electric skateboards. Um, I think learning to ride the excitement and like really go deep on topics when I'm excited about them and then like letting myself not forcing myself to do things I don't want to do. I think that was that has been very helpful as long as I can kind of direct the general trend towards building the things that I want to build. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the ICNU framework? No, I haven't. Okay. So it's for ADHD. And I think I've had several guests on my podcast and a lot of them are entrepreneurial. I stands for interesting. C stands for challenging. N stands for novel. And U stands for urgent. And for people with ADHD, tasks need to fall into one of these buckets in order for you to do them. If they fall into none of those buckets, it's going against your body. And that's why, you know, deadlines are urgent, right? Challenging, the novel, the interesting. Now, tasks that are all four, which are video games, are like super addicting, right? They fall into, so you have to like find a way to balance that, that, you know, you could play video games all day and those notifications and all that and social media, right, tends to fall into that category. So that's one way that I've kind of had people be like, okay, you know what? That's why I like this. That's why, and the novel thing really gets a lot of people with ADHD, and you can get the hyper-focus because a lot of people don't get that. It's not a lack of attention. It's a executive function deficit where there are certain things you just won't do. And it's not because you don't want to do them. It's just your brain is not, you know, wired that way. Thank you. I'll, yeah. I'll check out that framework. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things. So now looking back, what are some of the mistakes that you made along the way? There's two answers that come to mind. First... As I mentioned, I'm from San Francisco, and I, it took me about 10 years after leaving San Francisco to end up back in San Francisco. Did the whole digital nomad thing, living in New, in New York, et cetera. And I remember this day when I was in San Francisco, I'm somewhere between 19 and 21 years old, and I was doing this affiliate marketing thing. I was maybe like transitioning to freelance writing, and um, someone had booked a lunch for me with, uh, it was a lunch with me a friend and someone who was a mentor figure to, to this friend. And I was talking to this person and he was describing building companies that lose a bunch of money and then go public and like just this like really weird business model. And I was like, I just want to make $10,000 a month, man. Like I don't want to do any of this like, you know, losing money yeah. and hiring a lot of people and, and IPO. And I think it took me a long time to really understand how big companies operate. And that's kind of the game that uh, it took me a long time to like fully understand. And I wish I had, I think there was a offer on the table at that time to think a lot bigger and to play at a lot larger scale at a much earlier time in my life. And I think I kind of brushed it off like, oh, what is this guy? He's nuts. Um, and I wish I'd said yes to that. So that, that's one thing. Another thing I wish I realized earlier is why many of the biggest companies in the world are software companies. And I spent so much time launching physical product businesses and hardware businesses. And I never really understood that when you have a company where it costs you $0 to manufacture a product, every user doesn't cost you any money. You get paid right away instead of having to buy inventory and then you know takes you three months to make it and then three months in storage and like eventually you, you get paid. Like cash flow cycles. Um, there's a lot of attributes to software companies that are very attractive. And I didn't understand all those different attributes. And I spent years and years you know, selling different physical products and I think if I had understood that earlier, it would have um, made a bigger... I, I would have preferred to have gotten into software at an earlier age, I guess is what I'm saying. 
overall, I feel pretty happy about the path that my life has taken and the different skills I've learned along the way. So I feel like my answer to the, the mistakes question is maybe a little more tactical and less personal. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what are you most proud of? I just, I just really like my life. Yeah, like um, there's some things we haven't touched on, which is I live in a 19-person co-living house in San Francisco that I co-founded with my girlfriend. Uh, I have in a very loving relationship. I have a lot of close friends. I you know, build companies I'm passionate about. And just overall, I just really like my life. So I think that's probably it. No, that's important because so many people go through the entrepreneurial grind and they're still not happy because, you know, maybe they're chasing someone else's dream. They're chasing what society wants, but it seems like you did what you wanted to do. So that's good. Now, what would you say was the hardest thing you ever went through? I think that time period, honestly, around high school was really difficult where I had very little friends. I, my home life wasn't great. I felt like I wasn't learning anything in school. That was a pretty dark time. And I think even after I'd left school and I'm working at a Honda dealership and working at Starbucks, I didn't really know where I was going in life. Yeah, I think those were pretty difficult times. And honestly, as an adult, you know, you, if you spend a year building a company and it doesn't work out, it doesn't really feel that bad because like, as a kid, you really don't have options. Like, you don't have any money. You can't move out. You can't, there's very little choice that you have. But as an adult, I know that I took responsibility for trying to do this experiment. It didn't work out. Great. I can move on to the next thing. So I feel like the hardest experience was, yeah, at a pretty young age. Now, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self or 16-year-old self if you saw him walking across the street today? So it's 2022 and you see him. What would you tell him? I'd probably tell him to find a mentor as early as possible. Someone doing something that's close to what he's interested in. It doesn't have to be exactly. And I think, I think I tell him to just start doing what he wants to do pretty early on. Like, I don't really think a college degree is all that helpful unless, you, unless it's like a regulated field. And so I think, yeah, I would tell him, just, just like do what you want to do. Start learning what the things you want to learn and, and finding some way ideally to get paid for it. Um, even if it's just, you know, you're freelancing online for 10 bucks an hour. I think it... Um, there are so many avenues today to learn and self-teach skills online. And so, yeah, I, was, I would probably just say get started right away. So what are your future goals? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I'm, I'm building an app for people who listen to a lot of podcasts. What the app does is it turns web pages into audio and it creates a personal podcast feed for you that you can add to any podcast player and listen to the internet. So if you're like, you get a Medium article, you click a button, it goes into your Spotify or your Apple podcast, and you can listen to that Medium article while you're driving home. Um, so I'm going to be working on this for the next year plus, hopefully. If things are going well, I can work on this for a long time. Um, yeah, so I'm back to running a one-person company. I'm writing all the code. I'm, I'm doing all the marketing. I'm really enjoying it. I really liked having a bunch of investors and a bunch of employees, but I'm also just like really enjoying right now doing everything myself. And it's super fun. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge audio learner. I definitely prefer listening to things over reading things on a screen. And so um, I've been using this product for the last few months and just like listening to a ton of stuff. And so that's, been, that's, been, that's what I'm excited about. No, I mean, I absolutely love it. Like podcasts have changed my life. That's one of the reasons I started one. So yeah, if you ever need a beta user or something, that's like something I'd love to use. Now, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's listening.io. I'll send it to you. Okay. Oh, you got listening.io. That's a good domain. Listening.io, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. that's good. Now, how would people get in contact with you and how would people support you? 
check out the app, listening.io. I'm at, you can message me at hello at listening.io. Uh, Twitter is at dpancow. We can maybe put that in the show notes. It's kind of hard yeah. to spell. Um, yeah, I think those are the best ways. Okay. I just want to thank you for your time. This was really fun. Definitely would like, if you want to come back and talk about future topics that are more specific, be more than happy to have you on. But thank you so much for your time, Derek. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this chat. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com.